1: Welcome to the AccuWeather Podcast. I'm your host, Regina Miller, and I'm joined in the studio by Andy Robb. Hi, Andy.
0: Hey, Regina, how are you?
1: Good, good. We got a full plate of uh, stuff today on our podcast.
0: Uh, yeah, we've got quite a few guests coming through uh, for this week's episode. First and foremost, what we talked about last week, uh, Liz Bentley from the Royal Meteorological Society of the UK is going to be joining us for a little while.
1: I know, and especially this week, you know, all things royal. I was up, uh, well, I watched some, did you, are you a royal
0: watcher? Am I a royal watcher?
1: Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, the people that are so into what's going
0: on. I would um, be interested, but it didn't, as long as it didn't require me waking up at 4 a.m. on my day <laughs> off, then yes, but uh, no, I, I, I sadly missed most of it. Uh,
1: okay, all right, well, yeah, um, I was up watching, I was up watching part of it, you know, but um, so that was kind of a big deal, and I thought it was kind of cool that we got to talk to Liz the same week, so of course... I had to ask her about the royal family and if she had anything to do with uh, any of the royal wedding plans. And also our second topic for today is the Bermuda High. Uh, We're talking to our long-range forecaster Paul Pasteloc about what it is and how it affects all kinds of weather in the eastern half of the country. You know, just last week we had all this heavy rain, well did you know that that actually happens to have something to do with where the Bermuda High is situated?
0: If you didn't know, which I didn't, you'll know more about it coming up in a little bit. Right,
1: we're going to explain some of that, and also our third topic is the Memorial Day weekend forecast with our meteorologist uh, Brett Anderson, and he's going to have uh, tell us who has great weather for their weekend plans uh, and who may have to celebrate indoors. So stay tuned; all that coming up in just a moment.
0: From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller.
1: Joining me on the line, we have Liz Bentley, Chief Executive of the Royal
2: Meteorological Society.
1: Good morning, Liz. I, I guess it's afternoon for you, but I want to thank you for joining us today. Yeah, good
2: afternoon from uh, from the UK.
1: <laughs> How's the weather there today?
2: Just out of curiosity, because oh, it's drizzly and rainy yeah, no, here. Yeah, the sun is shining here, which, uh, well that often, I guess, for us in the UK, but some beautiful summer's day out there. Nice warm temperatures and blue skies.
1: Oh, I think we flip-flopped because we have some miserable weather here today. <laughs> so, um, well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Royal Meteorological Society, uh, Liz. And can you tell me about that? Who makes it up? What's its role in the UK?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, well, the Royal Meteorological Society has been around for well over 160 years. We were founded in 1850 by wow. a group of uh, 10 enthusiastic gentlemen who had a passion for meteorology and wanted to advance the understanding of meteorology. So they formed the Meteorological Society at the time and it was given royal status by Queen Victoria. So there's a lot of history behind what we do. But the way I would describe what we do is we are we're a charity here in the UK, but we are facilitators. So we don't do any forecasting, we don't do any research. We facilitate activities to support um, those people working in universities and academia and those people working in the profession. So we'll put on meetings and conferences and we have scientific journals that uh, the authors can publish in and we run professional accreditation schemes. So you could become a chartered meteorologist, for example. And we work with policy and decision makers to support them as well. So we kind of facilitate the advancement in, I guess, the science and the profession rather than delivering any of that.
1: Well, can you tell me first, because I want to know a little bit about your background, because you've been at this for quite a while before we get into like the changes that you've seen over time. But uh, tell me a little bit about your background specifically.
2: Let's go back to when I was a child, because that's when I got fascinated in the weather. I'm I'm from a part of the UK. Uh, I I grew up on top of the Pennines, which is uh, basically the, the hills, the mountains that run through the spine of the UK. And the weather was always a little bit more extreme on the top of the Pennines and So, you know, we'd always get really good winters with lots of snow where you'd almost have to dig yourself out of the house. So the weather really did impact on me from a very young age. And I became more fascinated wanting to really know why the weather did what it did, why why things happened. And I, I remember one particular summer holiday when I was probably about 13. I started to, uh, to, to take weather charts from the local paper and see if I could have a go at forecasting the weather myself, just a little game really, but it, it got me thinking a lot more about how the atmosphere works and so I, I'd almost decided a career in meteorology was for me before I'd left school and um, worked my way through university and, and various studies to take me in that direction. And I decided quite quickly that I wanted to become an operational meteorologist, so I actually do the forecasting. So I trained uh, to do that for a few years, working with um, my main customers were mainly the RAF here in the UK and the Army, so much more of a military uh, customer, um, forecasting for them both in the UK but around the world. So that was a really fascinating role. Um, After that, I moved to the BBC, which is the main broadcasting company in the UK, and I oversaw the of broadcast meteorologists, both nationally, but also the local and regional broadcasters as well. Again, another fascinating role. And then I moved to the Royal Met Society about 10 years ago, uh, more in a head of comms role initially, before I took over as chief executive. And the Royal Met Society, we've already talked about its history, but for me, certainly in the last decade or so, it's really modernized and and taken itself into the 21st century. And, And that really appealed to me to want to kind of engage with that kind of momentum and, and continue it. So I, I joined 10 years ago and, and well, I've not left, left since really and fully enjoying my time here. at small team and as I mentioned earlier, it's 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 about being able to support the MET community to help advance the science and the profession. And that's something that you know, I really do have a passion in. And you, know, you talked about the long history
1: of uh, your society. And I was just curious, do you have like a most
2: famous member? <laughs> gosh so we we have a, a number of presidents that have been uh, obviously important in important roles in the society probably one president would be stag who was involved in the d-day landing forecast and um was one of the advisors to eisenhower at the time when they were planning the d-day landings and stag was our uk meteorologist at the time so this is a lot of history around stag and particularly for us in the UK, the D-Day landings, you know, it's a historical event, and the fact that the, the UK and the US forecasts were allowed uh, at that window to, to actually do the D-Day landings, whereas the German forecasts had basically unsettled weather and, and weren't in any sort of landing. So he's probably one of the people, I think, that has a real historical background and kind of the history there, I think, is quite fascinating.
1: That is, that's very interesting. And you know, um, with all the buzz about the royal wedding, I was just curious, does your society play any
2: role in that at all? So not not with the royal wedding per se. I mean, our relationship with the royalties through our patronage and we have Prince Charles, who's the patron of the Royal Meteorological Society. and. You may know in the U.S. Prince Charles is quite outspoken about his environmental views and his views on climate change, which sometimes can be extremely helpful for us and other times less so. But um, he's a he's a real uh, supporter of the Royal Meteorological Society, and he, it's his 70th birthday this year, and we're very fortunate that we get an invite to his, his birthday party up at Buckingham Palace. So that's really where our direct involvement with the royalty goes, uh, is through our patronage with Prince Charles.
1: What sorts of Similarities and differences, do you see among weather broadcasters or weather enthusiasts in the UK versus
2: the US? I think I think one thing I would say in the UK, which may be the same in the US, but you know, we we are obsessed to talk about the weather. We we tend to form up a conversation with strangers in the streets about the weather. So you know, you may meet someone and and just say, oh, it's chilly this morning, or it's um, it's raining again, or whatever. But i do think the media in the uk actually uh, allow that obsession to 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 be greater than probably it would be anywhere else because media just love to jump on uh stories we often have um media headlines particularly newspaper headlines in the uk where there's some kind of devastation coming and you know zero temperatures and we're going to get kind of thrown into snowmageddon and, and <laughs> it, it really sells newspapers here it sells the media and you know even just thinking about radio and television the the viewing figures the audience figures tend to peak around the weather forecast or when there's a weather story and quite quite often the Royal Meteorological Society will get involved to put a context on that so when you see these you know extreme headlines um we're often asked to comment on whether you know how close to reality is that and you know there's usually something in the forecast that that has led to that extreme headline but it's something that may only affect you know a very small part of the country you know the the very highlands of scotland may get down to minus 30 but the rest of us are actually going to be you know in, in fairly you know temperate conditions but the, the, so there's usually a reason behind the headline but it's written in such a way that everybody across the country thinks they're going to get hit by some extreme conditions and we have to put that into context
1: just a reminder, we're talking to Liz Bentley from the Royal Meteorological Society of the UK, and uh, we're going to talk about the contest that you partnered with AccuWeather uh, on. It's the Best Weather Photographer competition. So, I was just wondering, how can listeners get involved? Yeah, so
2: we're delighted that we've partnered with AccuWeather to uh, to run the Weather Photographer of the Year. We've been running this now for three years, and it's grown over that time. It's really become a very popular competition. Um, so last year we had nearly 2,000 entries from, well, 60 countries around the world. We're getting, you know, photos, photographs coming in from all sorts of places around the world. Some stunning photography. What's, uh, what's
1: your favorite ones? <laughs> do you have any? a couple of favorites where you're like... Um...
2: Oh, gosh, that is a very good question because there's so many to choose from. I mean, I guess your eye gets drawn to the really dramatic pictures. So there's a number of people who do stay at storm chasing, and that's quite a big thing for us here in the U.K., you know people will have a holiday out in the u.s for three weeks and just go chasing storms i guess you can do the same in the u.s but you know we have, have a lot of friends who go and do that and um some of the photographs that they come back with from their storm chasing events are just spectacular actually quite scary because you know you've got this you know extreme uh events going on in front of you you kind of capture the beauty but the power that comes through on some of those images it, it can actually be quite scary you know you think actually try and put yourself in the position they were and, and wonder why they do it really and right. um, so, so the really dramatic ones i guess uh stand out when you where you're actually judging and, and trying to shortlist but actually you've got the opposite side there there are some images that have pure tranquility so there's a still morning and a little bit of uh, shallow fog the kind of you can almost take yourself there there's a quiet calm feel to that photograph so it doesn't all have to be you know big and brash and, and bang uh, you know extreme weather it can be the tranquil side of, of photography as well and if you look at some of the previous winners you'll see that both sides come out and I think for me that really catches the essence of, of weather isn't it, it it's you know there is a beauty to it, but there's also that kind of energy and dramatic side as well. And and it, you know if you can catch a, you know both of those in an image, then uh, you know that's really what we're looking for.
1: Great advice, Liz. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. Really enjoyed that.
1: If you want to enter the contest, go to weather dash photo dot org the deadline for entries is june 5th also if you want have a topic in mind you want us to discuss on the accuweather podcast we'd love to hear it you can just email us at podcast at accuweather.com okay for our second segment of the show we're bringing in paul Pastelock. how are you doing paul
3: pretty good. pretty good good regina good glad to be back
1: yeah i'm glad to have you back i thought you'd be the perfect person because um you know I wanted to talk about the Bermuda High because this past week when I was watching uh, just different weather forecasters, they were talking about the Bermuda High, and I was saying, thinking to myself, you know what, you're assuming everybody knows what you're talking mm-hmm. about when you're talking about that. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to bring in Paul and talk about, a little bit about it because uh, first let me kind of describe it, and you tell me if I'm correct okay. in this, because it's basically if you took the eastern part of the United States and you put a giant dome Right off the eastern part of the United States. Yep. That's your area of nice weather, your high-pressure area. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the pathway around that is a clockwise pathway. So, obviously, anything that's coming on the western side of that it's is affecting through. the eastern part of the United States.
3: That's correct. I mean, it's, it's not a glamorous, you know, feature that uh, is talked about a lot uh, because it only really has impacts during the late spring and, you know, early to mid-summer time period. Uh, but it does have a big impact for a large area of the, of the world, actually. I mean, it affects not only the U.S., but it also affects Europe and Africa as well at certain times of the year. So uh, it's a big dome of high pressure. Well, what does that mean? People are saying, well, what's high pressure mean? Well, it's an area of sinking air, okay? So underneath that high over the western Atlantic when it sets up, western and central Atlantic, it's pretty nice. I mean, it's sunny outside. It's beautiful. It is Bermuda
1: beautiful. is the place to be. And Bermuda <laughs>
3: is the place to be in late May. And if you're planning your vacations, May and June, there you go. Right. That's when it's strong. Uh, but it's the backside that things get interesting uh, because that's when the weather, wherever that that cutoff is, that that edge, mm-hmm. is when you can get some uh, pretty exciting weather going on. And, and And also you can see extremes, not only in weather, but also temperatures. Uh, not just precipitation. So, right. uh, the, there's some confusion. Some people are like, "Well, what about what about the Azor High?" Well, it's the same thing. It's a, it's kind of a, a high pressure area that kind of kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Right. The it moves. The
1: it moves a little bit westward or eastward depending and, upon the strength of it. And and and
3: that's the whole thing. Right. Different years, it could be much stronger. It could be shaped differently. It could be more towards the Azore Islands, which is farther east in the Atlantic rather than over to bermuda so it can have different effects uh that's the thing about uh, the bermuda high and us long-range forecasters trying to forecast that can make a big difference in our forecast especially in the eastern half of the nation so eastern half of the u.s so
1: and and what i think about it's kind of like the roadway the back edge of that absolutely in the eastern united states is kind of your roadway stuff's going to travel along that and i was just curious this past Mm -hmm. like the first first week here of of may like where we were dealing with rain, a lot of rain here in the eastern part of the country. Did the Bermuda High have anything to do with it that? It
3: did. It did. And, and the Bermuda High starts to show itself a little bit more here as we get into uh, May and June. And it's nosed its way back a little bit farther west into the western Atlantic. And what is happening is, is it's picking up some of that tropical moisture that's gathered up. Now, yeah, Because look. it's in
1: the Gulf. Right. I mean, you're talking about if that, like I said, with that big dome, if you shift a little bit westward and it's almost the size of, of the eastern part of the coastal U.S., you shift a little bit west, all that Gulf moisture just like yeah. riding right up the back exactly. edge of it. <laughs> exactly. And,
3: and it has nowhere else to go except that direction. That's the thing about the Bermuda High. It's blo- It's a block. OK, it can't go eastward. It just keeps going over the same area and they continue to have the same problems in the same regions. And that's what the block does. And it's going right into the southeast that we've seen uh, some of the heavy rain and it's not moving. So that area is expected to continue to get hit with heavy rainfall over the uh, coming days. Now, the thing is, is, uh, is knowing where that western edge, because if the high is weaker, then a lot of times the precipitation tends to be closer to the east coast. If the high is stronger, what ends up happening is, is that is pushed farther west and the east coast is drier and in the summertime can get really hot. We saw that happen back in 2016 in the month of August where mm. temperatures just went through the roof through the month of August. The high, the Bermuda high was so strong and so uh, permanent that uh, places like Charlotte had, I think, 19 out of 21 days uh, they had like 90-plus, mid to upper 90s for high temperatures. I think D.C. in August hit 100 degrees three times in a row. Meanwhile, back in the uh, Plain States, all the fronts, it was a log jam. Yeah, all it was a fronts, log
1: jam, so everything just kept running right along there.
3: and they kept getting hit and hit with storm, right. storms, and it couldn't get east. So right. That's what the Bermuda High can do. It's uh, it, Depending on its strength, it can have major influence on the pattern.
1: Right. And we've had a lot of that moisture riding northward, and we've had some areas with some flooding on, uh, you know, on the western fringe of that. Curious about something. Sure. Can you tell yet, like, okay, like if it goes a little bit further west, it might be more the Ohio Valley. If it goes a little bit further east, it's like the east coast. Can you tell kind of yet what we're looking at maybe for this late spring, summer?
3: Well, we think that l- we look at other things, and, and, and people would be fascinated by this. When we look at our long-range outlook, we do look at the Bermuda High in detail, and there are other features not only in the northern hemisphere but in the southern hemisphere that could impact uh, the Bermuda High during the course of our summer. And so we look at those kind of things to predict where where that Bermuda High is going to set up, how strong it's going to be, and what its shape is going to be, because that determines where those lines of bad weather and good weather is going to end up being. This year, we felt that it would be a little bit weaker, a little kind of flat, more flat, mm-hmm. flattish, so that there would be more over-the-top activity coming across, and we've seen oh, that Oh, so, so the far.
1: northeast, so parts of like Ohio Valley on up into the northeast could be seeing more of that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. It
3: okay. come over the top, so it's not perfectly shaped enough that all the dry air can be forced up to the north and it stays dry here in the east. That things come and penetrate on the northwest side of the Bermuda High. Now, farther south and east you go, maybe towards the eastern Carolinas, we do expect at some point they may start to dry out a little bit, except in the pattern they're in currently. So we we, we see those changes, and we try to make our forecast based on that
1: okay thanks paul you know so that's one thing to keep in mind when you're when they're talking about the bermuda high you know on the weather forecast keep an eye <laughs> if you're in the eastern half of the united states <laughs> keep an eye on that western side of it and where it's going to be located so
3: and the one thing also too is we get in the tropical season the bermuda high can be the pathway for storms. Oh, storm right. That's something that we need to be particularly like irma last year had a big impact on whether it was going to hit east side of florida or west side of florida so Uh, you know, it can determine a track of a a hurricane and millions and billions of dollars in damage as
0: well.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, thanks for uh, joining us today, Paul. Appreciate it. No problem. Okay. Before we get to our next topic, Andy, let's tell folks where they can find us.
0: Anywhere. Anywhere you find your uh, favorite might podcast. Might be in your
1: closet. Might be uh, in your living room. You never know where you might find us. But where could they find the podcast? I guess I should clarify that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that. But you, you can find us uh, where you find all of your favorite podcasts uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud. Tune in. Uh, we're there. And don't forget to uh, leave us a review and a rating. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Right. We'd appreciate it. Okay, well, we're getting ready to uh, take a look at the Memorial Day forecast here with our meteorologist, Brett Anderson. Before we do that, hey, Andy, I just have a quick question for you. What is your favorite season?
0: My favorite season? Yeah, I'm I'm
1: basically asking this because I want to get to my favorite season, but you go ahead.
0: Probably, (laughs) Probably springtime, late springtime, going into early summer when it's not... Too oppressively hot. I think oh. Oh. I like the nice, comfortable temperatures in like the the mid seventies to the low eighties, sometimes the mid eighties as well. What about you?
1: Well, my favorite is right now. So right now, uh, d- exactly right now. Okay, Late spring. Yeah, and I'm passionate about. It, you can tell mm-hmm. because it is the beginning of it all. Like, all the plants
0: got, are coming in. All and, plants are coming yeah.
1: in. Picnics, festivals. So I'm like all geared up for this. So uh, that leads me. To our next interview, Brett. Hi, Brett. How's it going? I'm doing great. Brett Anderson, one of our chief meteorologists here at AccuWeather. And before we get started, I have to ask you too, Brett, what's your favorite season? Fall. Fall? See, I think fall's beautiful, but I'm like, oh my gosh, winter is right behind it. (laughs) I
4: used to, you know, a lot of us, uh, a lot of meteorologists out there, we got into the field because we like cold and snow. Oh, And that was me. Yeah. um, As recent as five years ago. But now that I'm getting older... I get colder and I don't like the winter as much. (laughs) So now I'm still, my favorite scene is still fall, but I'm really starting to like May now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like May. May's good. I like fall. You know, I like that we have the seasonable temperatures and it's beautiful here in the Northeast, but it just like, Oh, I don't want to get cold behind it. So that's why I'm like so excited that it is Memorial day weekend. And uh, I wanted to find out a little bit about the forecast. Like what's, what's some of the, uh, big players on the weather map that you're keeping an eye on heading well, into Memorial. Yeah.
4: Drinking. Well, the biggest player is going to be this uh, area storm system coming up from the uh, Gulf of Mexico. And uh, we're watching that for a couple of reasons. So uh, one, it may actually turn into a tropical depression or actually a tropical storm as early as the weekend, maybe early next week. That's a slight possibility. Yeah. But what we're very confident about, though, is a lot of rain coming up through the Gulf Coast and Florida could see over five inches of rain in some areas during the entire holiday weekend, which is not good news.
1: Wow. So uh, tell me, like, what area? So is it, like, eastern Gulf into Florida? or yeah, What are all areas are we talking like about It looks like New there?
4: Orleans uh, right eastward through Florida. I think Florida is the area where we're going to see the most rain, even you know, up into Georgia as well.
1: Okay. Yeah. Is this showers, thunderstorms, where people have to head inside briefly, or is this more steadier rain? Steadier you know, rain and embedded
4: uh, thunderstorms. Uh, you know, just uh, a washout times, a lot of downpours, very humid. Oh, It'll be okay. Very humid.
1: So it's going to be maybe more inside sort of yeah, celebrations. Yeah, I would there say certainly in those areas. And, yes. Yeah. yeah.
4: Unfortunately, but not all the time. But you know, you're going to be able to sneak in a barbecue here and there. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. A little bit. Little. Yeah. Get a little time. Little yeah. window maybe to get outside. And what about uh, what's some other areas of the country that may have to plan maybe at least partially indoor over the weekend? Uh, I would
4: say the interior northwest into the northern Rockies. So we have a little storm system moving through there very slowly, but that's going to be generating scattered thunderstorms throughout the area during the entire weekend.
1: Okay, so that's kind of scattered activity, so it's like one of those things where if people have celebrations outside, they might just have to have secondary backup plans? Yes,
4: and those will be mostly in the afternoon hours, and then usually stuff usually winds down during the evening.
1: Okay, and then who is winning? Who gets like the best forecast for? The
4: plains, uh, if you don't mind the heat, I mean, it's gonna be very warm, 80s, some low 90s, uh, a little bit on the humid side, but it's gonna be dry, it looks like uh, right through the entire weekend. Plenty of sunshine and that will also include the upper midwest especially as we get into sunday and monday saturday looks a little bit stormy but should dry out later in the weekend
1: okay how far northward
4: how far northward what the good weather yeah the good weather. oh good weather all the way up to minnesota uh, oh, michigan okay. yeah later in the weekend
1: okay yeah, yeah. all right great thanks a lot brett you got it well if you have uh plans for this memorial day weekend you want to keep on top of the weather we do want to remind you that you can uh download the accuweather app Great thing about that, Andy. I don't know if you have it on your phone. Of course I do. Oh, of course you do. Every one of us here at AccuWeather has it. But it's got minute cast, which is like the the up-to-the-minute precipitation forecast. So it'll tell you like five minutes, thunderstorm starting. So we have that. So make sure you download that to stay on top of the weekend's weather. And also, next week's show is going to be an interesting one. We're talking about weather and movies.
0: Yes, because summer blockbuster season right around the corner. So we figured uh, some of our favorite movies uh, that have the weather theme, we might uh, be talking about them and uh, some of the accuracy of weather portrayed (laughs) in those films. Right,
1: reality, ridiculousness, because we've seen that. But we're going to break it down with uh, some of our meteorologists here at AccuWeather and their movie buffs as well. So we'll be talking about that. So stay with us next week as well.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows.